0: I was thinking that um, it gave me the chance this week to try to like, you know, get more confused by Stephen's speech. There are a couple yeah. of points that, like, what version is that from? No, well,
1: that's exactly. I, I think 75
2: people. Could see so your saws I, on the table. Which? Oh uh,
1: well, yeah, we'll probably sure we'll talk about them. I think what's cool
3: is I think we're we're intentionally trying to get really deep into this anyway. So yeah. spending more time on less
4: mm-hmm.
3: material is Good. is the right Good. way to go. In. Yeah.
4: Good. You feel the same way?
5: God's word I do mean, <laughs> time can. I don't
4: understand this. <laughs> Whips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Well, I'll leave it. Uh, I'll leave it the way it is. I was, you know, the next. Uh, the next lesson, when I put it together with uh, our introduction to Paul or Saul uh, or Shaul, depending on how you want to say all of that, is. Uh, I don't know, I just, I thought it was short, but then I I looked back and it was pretty much the same length as everything else, so, all right, so we'll keep it at that. So lesson 15, we are uh, introduced to Stephen uh, in our last one there and uh, picked up as as a deacon. A, it's a noble calling. I, I've been a deacon. I think we should all be acting as deacon. So, uh, had it's some... Meaning, Greek, for servant. So, how how did uh, how did Stephen get along with everybody?
0: There's a handful of people. About five groups, if I recall. Correctly. <laughs> That's exactly D- right. Didn't seem to like him too much. Yeah. So,
4: as you went through it, did you... Did you come to a conclusion about what they were so upset about? Hmm. What do you think, Greg? Uh, I gave two options there that I was thinking about. Did you agree with either of those, or did you think it was something else? I think... I'm trying to... I think he had colored tzitzit, and that was a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> you well,
6: the, I mean, anytime anytime that you've got somebody that is basically saying that you're either doing the wrong thing or that you're, you come from a family that does the wrong thing, I think, <laughs> I think you're going to cause some, your you're gotta, you're cause some well. problems for sure. Um,
4: so are you, are you saying that, are that you think <laughs> <your> that problem. <laughs> the problem they had with him was the end of his sermon? Or that the end of his sermon, let me put it another way, that the end of his sermon summarized the problem they had with him? I think that's what he, the,
6: That I think that's part of the reason why he addressed that specifically. Okay. Um,
4: yeah.
6: I mean, I, I think that definitely fits
0: in with, I mean, if you think about it, why does Yeshua get in trouble? Notice it's I think Yeshua
4: had a chip on his shoulder the whole time, really.
0: But I'm just saying, like Yeshua gets in trouble in large part with with the same people. It is the same people. Because right. he's calling them out, and in some some degree or another, maybe not directly, but generally speaking, talking about repentance and the leadership is corrupt. That's a problem. And if you look at if you look at the groups that challenge Stephen, I think that that stands out to me, because the five groups are all Hellenized type groups. They. See, in my mind, it's like if they're arguing with him about the, the divinity or the person of Yeshua, whether he's Messiah or not, that could be an issue. Okay. But to me, the Hellenization element there, I I know that that's part of who he's working with, but at the same time, it makes me think that those groups, I feel like, based on the feel I get from tradition, that those groups tend to be more, yeah, not so serious about the Judaism. You know at the, I mean, the, the sages like consider... What? Like non Jews. Right. I mean not that I'm anything special here, but I'm just saying like the, the, the sages see the creation of Septuagint as almost a tragedy. Right. So like the idea that the Helleniz, the Hellenization of Jews was not a good thing. And these groups are identified specifically as being from not just from area like like Outside, Like, the, like right. the synagogue of the freedmen is, is actually a group specifically of these people who identify as that.
4: I'm with you. I think the only fly in the ointment is that Stephen himself is presumably a Hellenized Jew. Well, P- that, potentially could have even been from that same synagogue. Well, and I agree. And
0: that's my point, though, is I think that I think Stephen setting the bar up here, and they'd much rather the bar be down here. And I think that's what gets him into trouble more than anything, because yeah. I think that seems to be, I mean, like their whole riff with the Sadducees is over the resurrection and Yeshua, but it's not Yeshua's divinity. They're not having arguments about whom Yeshua is so much. I think it's more about Yeshua's authority. I don't think whole right, of, I don't think there's a whole trouble. lot of
4: divinity questions going on at that time. I think it was primarily the fact that he was the Messiah. It's his identity, right, not but, his
0: divinity. But I think the reason why that's so important is because Yeshua specifically was a, it's, I'm trying to think of the best term. He doesn't attack the Sadducees directly, Mm-hmm. But he is a thorn in the side no of a corrupt Jewish no leadership. And if he's the Messiah, then they're in trouble.
4: Granted. I'm my my only comeback would be if if they thought if they had problems with Stephen because he was setting the bar too high, one would think that he was setting the bar too high when he was worshiping or living with them prior to being chosen as a deacon. That's a little something to think about.
7: Todd. I was just going to tack on that uh, he also proved the resurrection.
2: <laughs> hmm.
7: Right, Yeshua, yes. yes. And, and they were probably still denying it. Uh, oh, totally. Saying the body was taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, and we also have to consider, too,
0: the, um, that, as we mentioned last week, the sect of the way, because their Messiah figure, was rejected by the Sanhedrin, at least the Sadducean leadership of the Sanhedrin, that inherently makes them at odds with the temple sect.
4: Almost like the Essenes.
0: Right. A lot like the Essenes. Persona non grata now. So when you get into Stephen's sermon, notice he does a really good job of completely trashing the argument that he's teaching against the Torah. Right. But what's interesting is his response about teaching against the temple
4: is more nuanced. Well, let's hold on on his speech until we get to just a little more on Stephen the man. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? Good. You So you did not see sit in birth order, So you're trying to just mm-hmm. trip us up. I know. <laughs> Scott, how are you feeling? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was Sorry. it flu or was it just? It was flu. Yeah. It was not flu. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're back. Still, no. still standing. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, I'm on page 15 in the, in the workbook, uh, just looking at this first page. Um, they started fighting dirty. How did they do that? What, what was the deal there? Stoning. Hmm? No, no, no. Well, well, was that was that,
3: the inside oh, of the. Okay. Uh,
6: False witnesses.
3: Yes, false witnesses. they incited the
4: Torah scholars to like come and be like, "Hey, yeah, what are you saying here?" You yeah, know? yeah, good. But I think the false witnesses is a big deal. That's, um,
6: that's definitely a
4: low blow. Yeah, and and I guess uh, <laughs> I guess the thing that surprised me was, as I think Joshua was pointing out, is the the parallel with the Master. I mean, this is the same group that the Master went before. But did it say it was at night? I mean. I think that's the only thing that was different. And they brought in false witnesses against Yeshua, they bring in false witnesses against Stephen. It's astonishing. So, the two things he spoke against the holy place and the Torah, and that Yeshua would destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses. What are your comments?
6: That seems a little bit funny because his whole—I mean, his response to that is—is is like Joshua was saying, is basically proving why that's not the case. But I just—I would imagine that. So if if he was speaking with wisdom, yeah, and the proverbs teach us that you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the keeping of the Torah. So therefore Torah equals wisdom. So if he's just basically doing what Yeshua did, which is like restating Torah in like the way that it was meant to be, instead of, okay, we've we've added so many layers that we're like missing the entire commandment, you know, then then I can see why they would they would think that he was going against Moshe when in fact they he was just saying that they were going against Moshe themselves because of some of the yeah. additional things yeah. that they may have been doing or adding or or even neglecting by explaining in a way, as Yeshua pointed out in some cases. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of an ironic thing that they would accuse him of the very thing that he's trying to clarify for them, exactly. which is how we keep the Torah and the wisdom of the Torah. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, it, it's a funny thing about when people. Every time it, I feel like it mentions that someone was speaking in the spirit, pretty much someone wants to kill whoever that is. <laughs>
5: like it's like every time.
6: <laughs> Clearly, yeah. the, there's. I mean, that stirs up a lot. It Whenever, does. whenever the Lord speaks through
3: somebody, through someone, yeah, yeah.
4: Well, you're, you're getting certainly truth at that point. Yeah.
3: Even even in. Prophets. Never, no one ever liked what the prophets had to say either. And, this which is was not brilliant.
6: That was a brilliant statement. He's yeah. like, D- name name one prophet that you didn't try to kill. And it's like, oh, that's so true. Yeah, they did it, everyone. It, it, couldn't you
4: see him going? I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that one we couldn't kill. <laughs> that's
2: right. Yeah, we we <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, other comments there. I think it goes towards what you're saying on how to keep the Torah. Once we we'll get into Stephen's speech, and if you're ready to do that, it's I see differences in the speech that he gives disagrees with parts of Torah. Through there was three different places. Right, well, hold up before okay, we're today. not ready. Hold on one second. almost... I am almost. I'm thinking it came from his background, so I think okay. it's they've already changed some parts of. The, what, Greek Septuagint uh, or the Samaritan, Mm -hmm. and they're seeing him come from that side. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're seeing him as a Samaritan um, and wanting to change the oral Torah or traditions of our fathers. Okay, sure, sure. So it
4: could be understandable. then. Right. Hmm. All right. So just to really just kick the bee's nest... um, (laughs) But it's it's it just kind of comes with the territory. So if if we look at specifically what the false witnesses said, speaking against the temple, maybe that the the temple should be done away with. Um, animal sacrifices are a waste of time, or something along those lines. Um, that the Torah. Um, maybe it's been fulfilled and now it's done away with, abolished, or something along those lines, perhaps you guys have heard these, Um, that uh, the customs of, of Moses should be changed. Where would you get that kind of theological perspective today?
2: Nobody mm-hmm. wants to go on record. Well, different people's doctrines.
5: Uh, different people's doctrines. What a right. way of putting it. Yes,
4: <laughs> yes. I would. I would go so far as to say that there's different churches that have this doctrine. Right. And I've been in some. I've, I think you know, uh, not to uh, put myself in in better company, but I think uh, if you've ever taught Sunday school in a major denomination, <laughs> this is where we were all coming from. So. I think uh, I just had, uh, I just had a, an email back and forth. Uh, I got an email out of the blue this week. And uh, in case, by the grace of God, sometime in the next 20 years, this gentleman should actually listen to this recording. I'm not going to use his name or uh, describe how we went to church together for so many, many years and worked in the same Sunday School class. But uh, he emailed to me a fairly lengthy four-paragraph article that he had written to his men's Bible study that's meeting um, on Thursday nights at a very large pink church here in town. and. so so we're going to meet on Thursday night we're going to move to Thursday night (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) so four paragraphs and the topic was is Sunday the Christian Sabbath
2: ooh that's
4: a toughie well it's an interesting question it is and you know what do you know (laughs) all he did was the email he forwarded them he he forwarded to me and I got to tell you I was absolutely flabbergasted he argued it correctly he argued that it's not the sabbath the sabbath is the seventh day and you're not keeping the sabbath on sunday and four paragraphs it was a great argument and he went he went into various reasons why it wasn't i was proud of him
1: and next thing you ask is how did Christians get it messed up? Because if no, no, well, he knew how they got it messed up. If, he was okay with it. Well, because like they do, uh, they do kind of give us the story of the that the world was created in a week, like it was in seven days, six days, sorry, and the seventh day was uh, the was the Sabbath. Now, still, I, I'm still kind of confused how they thought that Sunday was the Sabbath. Well,
4: they didn't believe that Sunday was the Sabbath. They just wanted to honor the Sabbath because that's the day the Lord was raised. So, I mean, he had some, he understood where it came from, but I gotta tell you, his arguments were out of the church playbook, and they were all wrong, in my opinion. Um, so I, I thanked, I wrote back, and I, I thanked him. You know, I'm really, I'm impressed that you realize it's not the Sabbath. Um, well, I made a couple of comments on some of your statements here, in these four paragraphs, and
1: i just love to hear your thoughts. Well, for a couple of years, we thought it was the seventh.
4: But I mean, yeah. So I replied and sent him back seven points for him to consider, rebutting some of the statements he made in his argument to them. Now, his argument to them was perfect because they agreed with everything he said, but it was wrong. <laughs> uh, it wasn't scriptural. So I gave scriptural examples for each one. And uh, I thought it was pretty strong, solid, scriptural. Mm -hmm. He wrote back and said, uh, now, we only get saved by grace through faith. Not by works of the law. Yes, and the sky is blue. I wrote back and I said, I'm sorry, you sent me an article written by a believer to other believers about the practice of believers. (laughs) And I just commented on your arguments. How is it that we moved from faith practice to salvation? I must have hit a buzzword, like law. Mm. We're on our fifth back and forth (laughs) now. He sent one right before you guys got here, so I, I wrote back quickly and said, appreciate the back and forth. See that he wrote back, I'm sorry, just one more quick thing. He wrote back with cut and paste from... GoToQuestions.com dot com, or I really don't know my dot or whatever it was, and it was all about right. salvation by works and keeping the Torah, you know, and so forth. And uh, so I, I wrote back and said, uh, on my my third response, is like, I just wanted to have a back and forth with my friend. Right. I didn't really want to argue with the internet. All right. <laughs> so I haven't read anything that you sent back. but here's my you know so anyway he he wrote back and said uh, "I, I really didn't want it to be this intense but okay and so he started replying to mine so all of that to say what the false witnesses said about the master and what the false witnesses said about Stephen is by and large the theology of most of Christendom today. And it is odd to me that we have such difficulty in pointing that out. And if anybody's got some insight as to how we can point that out perhaps more gently, Mr. Martin is very good at uh, toning down my rhetoric over the years, but I just don't seem to be able to make an inroad to show that these guys were defined by the scripture as false witnesses giving this testimony. You're claiming to follow him, and yet you have the same testimony that the false ones did. I can't get that through. So, anybody got any thoughts, comments, assistance? A couple of things you've written in the past that you might want to share with me? Anything? <laughs> Nothing. Something? Yeah. Something?
6: I mean we should t- take a note from Stephen that yeah. it's, uh, it's a good it, it's, way to. Get it's stone. a really scary territory to be to be treading when you tell people that they're essentially disobeying something, yeah, um, especially if they don't think that they are, that's when it's really hard. But when they don't think that they are and they have a very, very good reason why not. I mean, sometimes I'm sure you get the impression that, it's almost as if, like, they think that you're breaking some other law for doing the laws that you are doing, and, and you're like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait Christ. right, right, right." There's you're this. Like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like, "It's, like, it's, it's hang on, how did we get feel, there?" People feel very, very strongly about that, um, but I mean, that's why. That's why I think Paul and his encouragement about staying humble, you know, as just a, as just a grafted on branch is, is really helpful in situations like that, where it's just like, you just take a, you take a moment and say, let me consider what you're saying, you yeah. know, and just kind yeah. of respond with humility, and, uh, and that, that kind of helps not to get things too heated or fired up.
4: I have tried many ways, and just quoting scripture with no words of my own doesn't work either. And I don't know how much more humble you can get. And of course, I guess that comes off as you know, being a know-it-all or something.
5: I think so, that's the only way you can tackle it. I mean, I, I get those. It's amazing how every time I get something, it's something that's been Googled and said, this guy said this and this guy right. said this. It so, almost goes directly to here. They secretly got guys that say, this this, this <laughs> and this and this said this. Versus, why can't you just come to me with something that's scriptural based? Right. Versus, look versus this guy's opinion, this guy's opinion, this guy. I can of do the same thing. I see all these articles and I just don't even read them. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's right? not. But the Lord's example to us, I think, is good.
4: Right? What does he say to us as sinners? Come. Let's us, let's you and I, go fishing, reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. But we have to reason together. Right? Maybe there's a lack thereof. Well, it's, I think the part of the problem you run into
0: is if you're arguing people who don't know the Scripture and are quoting from other people that they've heard, mm-hmm. you can't really change their mind because...
4: They don't have a mind to change it.
0: Yeah, they're trusting someone else's opinion. Sure.
4: That's a good point.
0: The flip side of that that I've run into that I think is almost as difficult, or maybe more so, is the, is the people that argue from a I have 19 one or two verse segments from various century Paul's epistles that I can completely memorize yeah. memorize we're not
4: under law Joshua and we're you know, under grace could, yeah
0: exactly you know and all things are to be eaten received with, get with things you right. know something like that we go through you know and it's like all of them are horribly out of context it would take an hour to refute each one because if you read the entire book you'd know that's not what we're talking about but you know the problem is then that like it just creates this sort of cascade. The only argument I think I've ever used that was... Successful. That he, I don't know if successful is the word you <laughs> use here. Better than being watched. ended the discussion I think amicably was when um, debating the whole Peter's dream mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. I just asked him more than once and I think it finally settled in. Um, what if someone had a dream from God they said that homosexuality was okay. Ooh, nice. I mean, nice. Because the only reason why Peter's dream is accepted is it "quote unquote" came from God. But the only one who knows that is God. Peter can say it came from God all he wants. He's either crazy or right. Right. And the only way we know he's not crazy. Is if it sounds like God.
4: <laughs> Deuteronomy twelve and thirteen.
0: So I mean, realistically, the problem you run into, and really this is true of anything in the scriptures, and I've, I've heard this argument before too, is that if you're gonna start saying that every that anything written in the future can overturn what was written before, there's no reason why the Book of Mormon isn't true. That's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. So you're really. We, we've heard that one before. I think point. your dad used that. One, right? Yeah. It's
4: you, like you know, here's a here's a hot thing. We just found out that. You know, God had first chosen the Jews and then chose the Christians and now he's chosen the Muslims. Right. Amazing but true and you're out of luck. <laughs> evidently God changes his mind.
0: Well and but even but even if you say that even changes his mind, you know, well it's that that covenant and this covenant and that dispensation and whatever else it's like but the problem is that it's switch it's the people there are are losing it midstream. Yeah. I mean yeah. poor poor Peter spent you know, thirty years of his life keeping the Torah, and then all of a sudden he's totally he doesn't have to anymore. And so what was the point of all that? And it's like that doesn't make any sense.
4: Nor does it line up with his life right after Acts two. Or in scripture.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Alright. So we <laughs> so, Okay, so we've got everybody going. All right,
7: Todd, you've been quiet, you can go first and then you got the next one. I think a lot of it is the emotional attachment. Yeah. You can't get you can't get around the you can't use just rational <laughs> conversation to get around the emotional attachment
4: I think you're exactly right about that you're not just throwing their theology under the bus but all the people that they love and care about family members what
7: they had most of those people had a salvation experience absolutely they've been walking with the Lord They know the Lord absolutely and then They went through a process of discipleship with people that taught them that they really enjoyed and loved. And And now you're saying, spent wonderful times with, and and we're saying those guys are wrong. Yeah,
4: that You're exactly right. And it's it's probably, other than a lack of education from the scripture itself, which is, quite frankly, according to the scripture, and if you've been around, the problem with the teachers, not with the students. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. There's an emotional angst there that they just can't give up. And, and I've, I've seen that.
7: You're right. And you, right. you go through a... Uh, what's the process of getting off no, drugs and stuff? Uh, when you come into this walk, you have to process all that stuff too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've know, you got all the attachments that you have to... St- and detox. Yeah. detox. Yeah. You That's have, what I was trying you have to say. And you have to do
3: that from a perspective of as, as open as you can be. Mm-hmm. Which is what I was going to say which is the best advice I think we can have is remembering what Yeshua said which is those who have ears to hear let them hear I'm not responsible to convince everyone on the planet that what Yeshua said Torah said is true I'm just responsible to
4: be witness of it
3: and if you're not convinced that's not that's not my responsibility that's
4: exactly right and and quite frankly um, uh, Joshua's father is probably uh, one of the strongest influences in my Torah walk because he didn't tell me I needed to do anything. He didn't tell me I was right or wrong. He just lived it out and was there to answer questions when I had them, so. And
0: occasionally ask those hard to answer questions. Yeah, the
4: ones that make you squirm. (laughs) How would you summarize in a sentence or less Stephen's soliloquy? write that one down see if you can spell it
0: yeah <coughs> S- 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 something like you killed the messiah and we've seen this before ooh
4: nice good somebody else mine's long boil <laughs> it down see if we can get it to a set
3: um, I sent Moses as a messenger and you didn't listen to him you didn't say i messiah
4: Nice. Good. A little more meat on that bone. I like it. Yeah, yeah. You guys in the back? Anything? The Anything? question,
3: what is a soliloquy? For? What is a
4: soliloquy? It's a solo statement. It is a speech made by one speech. individual. Is that the, uh, um, Acts
3: 7, one through
4: 50 As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, yeah. sir, that is exactly what his soliloquy was. Actually, it'd probably be 40-something, because I think by 50, there. Meshing her teeth out, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, yes, that whole big long thing. How would you summarize that, Micah, in one short little deal? If your mom said, oh, "What's Acts chapter seven about?" What would you say? Quick. No lunch for you. <laughs> what would you say, Josiah? If mom wants to know what Acts chapter seven is about. What would you say?
1: How uh, the relationship between God and Israel became...
4: Uh, no dinner for you, Josiah! <laughs> you got it, but you're making it too long. Caleb, give me something. What do you got? One sentence. No dinner for me.
5: <laughs> no dinner? Come on,
4: try
1: something. I, I seriously can't. Cause, I mean, I've, I've, I write down a lot, and it's really hard to boil down all the facts that I pull out of the Bible. So sometimes it's
4: really so, so you know what he said. In summary, Joshua, what did he say? I would say a... What did you do to us? Nice. That's that's actually pretty good. Joshua, go ahead. Um, it's an entire fasting week for the Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> it
0: is hard to, to boil down Point. 50 verses into... A single concept.
5: It, is. it is. His speech, what's interesting about his speech, that's so fascinating to me,
0: is it doesn't have an obvious point. Oh, he I, doesn't I, deliver it. I think it does. Cool. It. Well, I mean, hang on. When I was in speech class, yes. they emphasized the importance of having a thesis. Yes. That you need to speak out your thesis. Well, Stephen's speech doesn't really have a thesis that he says... What's great about Stephen's speech and what's really ironic is that essentially Stephen's speech, the point to Stephen's speech, is buried inside the the walls of the speech, effectively making it to the point where the point is a midrash. It's like Stephen delivers this long, long, long account, which for most of my life growing up, I always thought, why is he doing this? Is he just trying to make a point that he knows a lot? Like, I mean, what is even the reason for all this? But, well, but it wasn't until looking at it more closely that you realize he's actually wanting them to read between the lines and go, oh, I see what you're trying to say there. And they did. And they did. Well, I,
3: I think it was painfully obvious. I, I, I hear what you're saying about the thesis, but I think in speech class or writing class even... When you write something, you assume your audience knows nothing about what you're trying to say. That's exactly right. And in this case, it's the exact opposite. Right, exactly. And I and I don't know what the perception of, of Stephen was because he was maybe hellenized. So maybe they didn't think he knew his stuff. But he, reading it this time, I, under, I, I saw it completely differently than I had seen it before. And uh, it almost seemed like he was both trying to make a point that I know what I'm talking about and I'm telling you this painfully obvious fact that you guys messed up this time messing up again
6: also the whole the the the, you called it a summary of the tanakh and i think the reason why you said that is because it wasn't just about them messing up it was also like righteous jew righteous jew righteous jew like basically like here's a bunch of righteous jews oh and so was yeshua That kind of deal too. So it wasn't just the fact that they messed up, but he was also drawing attention to all of the players leading up to David and then kind of with Solomon and then he sort of brings it right home to Yeshua.
4: If you're talking to the head council of the chosen people and you wanted to give a historical synopsis, With whom would you begin? (laughs) Abraham. And he does. So, good you, good you, good you. I, I don't... I think his point was, how did we get to where we're at, guys? Right? We started with Abraham. God promised the Messiah. And... Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. That's my thesis statement. I'm done. And they were like, did did he just say that we killed the Messiah? I don't think I'm very happy about this.
0: I think that the thing that's so cool about it, though, I guess I was trying to get at it earlier, is that the way that he delivers the speech has almost a Talmudic feel to it. He starts out so I mean, slow and challenging. It's, it's not just that he delivers a great retelling of the first five books of Moses plus, plus bonus points. Mm-hmm. He also does, the, his argument is embedded in it in a way that sounds like a Torah sage. Yes. He's actually arguing with Torah sages in their language. That's right. And I feel like that, to me, I mean, that's, like I said, up until maybe the last, I read the speech a, a couple of years ago, and I had not, up until that point, I had never understood the point. It was so long, it was so rambling, and it seemed completely confused.
4: Well, that's where most of these young
0: guys were a second well, ago. Because that's why they they... <laughs> sort of got it, but they couldn't summarize and boil it down. Because there's a lot of layers there. But there the, is. What's the, so great is there's oh, two wow. issues he wants to hit on. And those are the two issues related to the two issues that he's being accused of. So his first point... Wait. Oh.
4: I agree with him. Two points. Now, think and give me two different words. Let's start with one. There are a lot of words in the
1: English Give me vocabulary. One
4: word for one of his points.
6: Scriptural. Um
1: mm, mm,
4: mm. it was scriptural. But I don't think that was one of his points. Messiah?
6: Mm.
4: Disobedience, I think, is the first one that comes to my mind. Okay. I think he's he's trying to make it clear that you messed up. Right. We've had this. We were, we were we were doing we okay. Do yeah, we were doing fine. And, and then, we then our fathers screwed it up. <laughs> were disobedient, and then we were doing okay, and then you were disobedient. And what is going on right. Here? Right. The other the
0: other layer there though that I think is so cool is and this goes back to we talked about earlier. So they're attacking him because their accusation is they speaking against the temple. The only way I think that that makes... And it's false witness, so it's not true. The temple
4: in that but, Yeshua would destroy.
0: Yeah. The only thing that I think that they may have had as a reason for other people not just throwing that out automatically, like that's ridiculous, um, is that, like I said earlier, Stephen's sect, their their group, is... Headbutting with the temple leadership, so there's a there's a, there's a rivalry over the temple structure. What's fascinating is Stephen, throughout his speech, this is talk about disobedience and tying it into Messiah and Messiah figures like Joseph and Moses. Right. He also threads through the whole thing this uh, uh, discussion on the place with Abraham. And was, this is the first time I noticed this one with Abraham. He talks about Abraham. It's like why is he? He goes on and on about this this dream about Egypt and it's all confusing but he specifically mentions you will worship me in this place and then later when he comes up with Moses he comes back to that idea again talks about the tabernacle we had the tabernacle and then Joshua and then David and then Solomon and Solomon builds the temple And but then wait he quotes from the prophets so he skips ahead out of the, the Ketuvim out of the writings and into the um, well actually this is all technically the prophets I suppose and the kings and stuff um, he goes into the prophets deeper in the prophets and talks and quotes that verse saying, you, you, what can man build for me yeah. Talking about, from God's God. perspective mm-hmm. And so in effect what he ends up doing is I feel like ironically enough, they're accusing him of attacking the temple and in a way he almost does, but not he's not attacking the temple. He's attacking the corrupt temple system. He's basically rephrasing the prophet's lament from God saying, you know I desired, obedience, not sacrifice. Right. Because the Sadducees are all about the temple and nothing else matters. So Stephen essentially assaults that argument while at the same time also saying, you rejected the Messiah just like your fathers did.
7: There you go. Nicely done. It's interesting that Herod built that temple, too. Say what? I mean, oh, yeah. Herod built that temple. <laughs> right. So corrupt.
4: So there I mean, we've, I mean, we've got... Disobedience and corruption,
7: mm-hmm.
4: leading to killing the Messiah. Good. Other comments could be sneaky. Hmm? Sneaky would be could be a word. Another mm. word, rejection. Rejection is good. Ooh. Rejection, disobedience, rejection. I like mm. that. Yeah.
2: I
0: have a question. I, I need some help here. In looking at this speech, where is Stephen getting seventy-five people going into Egypt? See, that's what bothered me. And right.
2: yeah, you had two things there. Well, I got three things. Oh, three things. Let's hear it. Well, I, the seventy-five threw me off. I think as Stephen Hellenized, speaking to people that already Jews that already know Torah, they're seeing okay. Well, where are you getting the seventy-five? Where are you getting that? Um,
4: so where, where's my seventy-five? The seventy-five. So those, are, those are. Those are following on the It's along Genesis without, without forty-six
2: following. twenty-seven. The, the Hebrew Tanakh says seventy.
0: Yeah, it's in the in the speech that he's giving. It's in verse fourteen.
2: Yeah. Joseph
0: sent summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred seventy-five persons. Seventy-five in persons in all. all. Which, ironically enough, about this, this is really funny. The seventy persons listed in Genesis have an entire chunk of midrash about them because we can't figure out how they get to 70. Right. (laughs) So
2: Stephen says, let's just add five more. We already are confused. Let's just tack on some bonus ones. So what'd you find in that? Okay, so after these three differences...
4: I got one. Okay, the other one. one
2: is Abraham's father died at age 205. There was a... Midrash, about that, where Abraham was 75 when he left Hebron, 70 plus 75 is 145. Terak would have been 145 when he died. So the Hebrew Tanakh says he was 205. There was some dispute there. That was another one. Uh, The other one was the tomb that he bought was in Shechem, but the Tanakh says that it was near Hebron, not Shechem. So, and it's
0: from the wrong person, because the tomb in Hebron is bought from the sons of Chet, but the Shechem one is bought from Hamor's family, who was from Shechem. But ironically enough, Jacob does buy property from Hamor and gives it Shechem to Joseph, but it's not Hebron. It's very, I mean, it's weird. It's like, that's what makes it so confusing. Is It's not that it's like, oh, that's just ridiculous. He's making that up as he goes. It's more like he's pulling from pieces that are already a little controversial. Right. And, but then weaving them together in a way that doesn't really make sense. And I guess it's kind of, uh, I'm assuming they must be based on some sort of midrash or some sort of reading of the Greek.
2: I'm, from what I have read and heard from others is that there was a temple up at Mount Gerizim uh, in Samaria... The Samaritans would blot out things that they thought needed to be corrected. And so they were saying that maybe Stephen was a Samaritan and they already had problems against Stephen. Now, I can't go to the Samaritan Pentateuch and prove that. So I don't know. That's hearsay. But I could see their point with it because I'm seeing differences in the text as well. But do you think that the differences that he raised in these three points or why they get upset so they're seeing they hear these differences okay. and they're saying and he's saying they're fussing about the he's fussing about the temple the temple will come down what about the temple up at mount gerizim fussing is a southern technique fussing.
3: oh no I, i'm very familiar Just wanted to help you. uh so <laughs> <I'm from here. laughs> so the samaritans the samaritans
2: have a temple up mount gerizim um, they know that. Um, they're also saying, what about, you're, you're changing the traditions of Moses. Well, maybe not Moses, but the, well, that the would, seeds. That would be the traditions come, of Moses. Right. So, the Samaritans are already changing text. They have a problem with them already changing that. So...
4: It's possible. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that would, would trouble me is tying Stephen with the Samaritans. That's tough to do. Okay. I think his name is Greek. He's seems to be from further north than Samaria. Okay. Um, so I don't know. But you raise a good point that if, his, if he's off from the normal beaten path, this would also imply that he wants to change the customs of Something. Moses, right. which is a big no-no. I get that. If if anything, with regard to the temple was involved, whether it's the, you know, intricacies of their corrupt system, which the Essenes didn't want to have anything to do with, mm-hmm. or it's maybe we don't want to use this one. Maybe we can use this other one. You know, then uh, we're there. I think the false testimony that was brought against him should in some way counterbalance what we actually hear him say, because he's answering a question. Is this true?
0: And I don't think, this is just
4: my opinion, I
0: don't think Stephen, as shrewd as he is, and we've already talked about the fact that this is a really well laid out argument, um, that's so, com- so complicated it's not even like obvious. He's speaking to people who are brilliant at their level. And, and, and like you
4: said, with a lot of different layers so that he might get the front row and the back row still going,
0: wow. Yeah, so I don't think that... I really don't imagine that he's arrogant enough to necessarily throw in his own traditions or that he's foolish enough to have forgotten, oh, that's right, there were 70, 70 persons, not 75, not 75. I always do that. So I, I, my, ge- my only thing I can guess is that if if you look at... He, Jewish Midrash, there is a lot of debate, even about things that are plainly in the text. And it's not to say that they're trying to say the text isn't correct. It's that if you read the text one way, it looks like it says this. But if you read it this way, it looks like it says that. I mean, he says there's 400 years that they're in Egypt. You get 430, 420, 400. And like a whole bunch of different versions because you're counting it different ways. To the very day. Right. So I think that my guess, this is my theory is that Stephen is pulling from Midrash on purpose. He's actually dropping these like kind of anomalies in there. Trash bombs. To actually point out, hey, I've read your book too, you know, to quote yeah. uh, uh, this, this situation with Rommel. The point is though that uh, I think that he's making a point in a good way. He's not losing track of the Bible.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, I would go back to uh, the way he got here in the first place. Verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So he's not stupid. So he's not making it up or forgetting. There's wisdom in there that he's using, and it could be that he's drawing from the Midrash and from everything he's heard. And certainly the spirit's with him. And I'm reminded of the master, which I think we get into uh, in a little bit of the lesson, yes. Sir. Well, so I, I was just looking back because I remember doing
6: a little bit of a study on this and on, on the seventy versus seventy-five number. Mm-hmm. And all the seventy-five stuff is definitely more on the Greek side, like that's what mm. is actually in Genesis and Exodus in the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually say seventy. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would be like. Mid that doesn't really indicate that it would be midrash that he would be getting at. like Jewish midrash like this seems more especially with that one specifically that seems more on the like more of the Greek tradition um, the seventy five yeah
5: that's because right. yeah. Orthodox Jewish Bible says so seventy it doesn't say in yeah. Acts it doesn't right. say 75. oh is that right they fixed it <coughs> huh of course Maybe they're gonna so. fix it, of they're they're right. gonna <laughs> fix it. <laughs> how
4: about that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Because if, if you read
0: through some of the quotes in the um, epistles and whatnot... Well, in
4: the Gospels. In the Gospels. So the Master is almost always
0: quoting from the Septuagint. And the quote, or whoever's quoting him is quoting from the Septuagint. Correct, Good point. And the quote that they're pulling out oftentimes doesn't read like your version of the Bible because there are some discrepancies between the Septuagint and the Hebrew text. Sure. Well, that, that
6: actually... So but that's kind of an interesting question then. Like... If you, because what you were saying was like sort of erring on the side of like I read your stuff too, like I, I also read Midrash, but then th- this would be an example of where it's like this might be a point of contention because it's different than what their maybe their tradition says or what they're studying, and
4: it's more on more on a, a Greek side. Could be. I mean, <laughs> I think that's I, that's Jonathan's point. Right. Is you know he's coming from a, a very Greek. Very non potentially non Jewish side, but yeah. if he's doing it for midrash, it could be midrash on both sides. Yeah,
0: because if you
4: read like the I'm thinking I'm thinking about the targums is another example.
0: The commentaries, I mean, like I said, you can have stuff it says X Y Z happened in Genesis. Mm-hmm. The commentary says, well. X and Z definitely happen. Y actually doesn't happen at all because we really meant to say is this is occurring. And if you look at it this way, and, and they pull in this verse, and we translate this name, and you know, and also it's like, okay, I thought that was easy. Um, and so the point is that like, I think it could be from that. Alternatively, it could be from the Greek. But I do still think that either way, he doesn't get in trouble for these. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. When they get ready to stone him, it's not because they're disagreeing over what Bible he's reading. The issues that he's delivering in his speech is ultimately the trigger point. And that is, like I said earlier, just like they rejected Joseph, just like they rejected Moses, you rejected Messiah, and just like the fathers in the wilderness who had the temple didn't serve God the way that God wanted to be served, you're doing the same thing.
4: I think you left out the prophets. Oh, Just because right. he rejected the prophets, too. Right. You rejected it. You're back. Good. Mm-hmm. Why'd they kill him? <clears throat> I mean, Peter and John have already been preaching, we would presume, a very similar message.
3: Well, it's the same reason they killed Yeshua, except this time they had the guts to do it themselves. <laughs>
6: the way that it puts it is very, like, disturbing. Almost, it's like they get like super mad, super riled up. Yeah, and then they 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 start yelling with a loud voice. They they stop up their ears and they rush him. I'm not gonna listen to this. That's like. That just. You put seems... pineapple on the pizza? <laughs> the are first you thing nuts? Actually, yeah, the first thing I thought of was like, wow, that sounds really cowardly and childish. And they stoned him to death. Yeah. <clears throat> Over pineapple on a pizza? That's actually, so cool. ironically enough, they take the time to do it the right way. They do. If you read, yeah. Yeah, it, it says the
4: that the, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Which the is what's supposed to, to happen. supposed to be the one to do the stoning. That's exactly right. Now, how would you feel if potentially you got paid to come in and be a false witness? Assuming the trial is not going to go your, their way, no big deal, quick fiber, and it does go their way, and now you got to kill the guy. That's tough. Man, that's tough. Well, can, it, can it be that tough if you're
3: already taking a bribe for something that's pretty bad in that
4: culture yeah so let's let's We're go through just a couple a of quick points here um, why did the Sanhedrin not kill Yeshua themselves they didn't want all the blame nope. so. like, <laughs> they got all the blame anyway by the way <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh, oh, man. no Mm-hmm. They couldn't. Rome? But they they time. Clean? What about Rome? The, they were a Roman authority. That's what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. A Roman authority? The, the Romans time. had taken away well, their, took their away authority. The yeah. Didn't they take away stoning, t- stoning at the time too? The death penalty. They yeah. could not do the death penalty. But if you read through the history, it's like they took it away, and mm-hmm. then they gave it back, and then they took it away, depending on how the relationship was going with Rome and who was revolting at that time. You know, so once you hit 66 in the Jewish wow. Revolt... You know, all bets are off. But they didn't have the authority when Yeshua was there, and it wasn't much later, and they did. Okay.
3: But in the Gospels, they specifically say the the Sanhedrin did not make a move against Yeshua because of how popular he was with the people.
4: Well, that's true. It said, also says specifically, the high priest goes to uh, Pilate and says, and he, and Pilate says, "You put him to death." He goes, "We're not allowed to put him to death."
3: Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is it feels to me more like if they felt they could get away with it, they would have done it, like they didn't see it.
4: But. Could be. But we do know that the ruling did change, so they were a- allowed to uh, to do the death penalty. Either way, whether they were concerned about taking the blame or they were concerned about being caught with their hand in the cookie jar or in the rock pile, um, your red-handed. It is it is a different deal.
0: This is also though to to the point of this though this is a watershed moment in the relationship between this burgeoning movement and this essentially the Jewish religious leadership of the day in Jerusalem. True. Sure. So up until this point this hasn't happened. I mean as you've noted the pop that they did kill Yeshua but they kind of did it via proxy. Right. And then with um, the apostles, they keep arresting them. They beat them. They, beat they them tell them up. not to do things. Yeah. But they—they're always afraid to stone to, to take it further
4: than that. They're—they're cool. Be- they're allowing them to still talk in the right. temple. So they—they're having—they're they're
0: they're having, anxious about the people. They have their own internal council. Some of the people in the council are saying this is Aggale like saying this is a bad idea. Don't do do anything right. here. Yeah, these guys go along. But this point crosses a line. And actually, if you, if you look at it, this is something that um, these moments happen pretty regularly in, um, for lack of a term, revolutions. So you have a power, you have a challenging force, and at some point, in an effort to stop the challenging force, the power crosses a line. Right. In our country, it was the Boston Massacre. In other places, it's been other incidents. But they the 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 power in, in charge, Rambo they drew first blood right and, and yeah and the, when the, but when they cross that line it actually usually goes against them so that seems to be that happens here yeah. so they it persecuting this group ironically enough it drives them out of Jerusalem and instead of being a temple sect that's kind of isolated that's next week's lesson. They end up because being, they haven't
4: been persecuted and dispersed yet. Right. That's the next chapter. Well, that was you
0: tried us read that verse. So I'm just commenting. <laughs> <on>. Then <They're> I spreading it. <laughs> ironically, <laughs> enough, by <laughs> the time we come back at the end of the book, yeah, there are tens of
4: thousands there's churches of believers all over the place. Yeah, no question. Or congregations, or whatever you want to call yeah. them. No, you're exactly right about that. It is. It is amazing, and it's obviously used by God. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And if He's speaking in the Spirit. If he's being led by our master, if he's looking up and seeing the master, one asks the question if this wasn't orchestrated by the master, very specifically, aside from the normal God controls everything. He said what I was going to say. And it's there it
3: is. Point boss, Master, you covered it. <laughs> so a so quick question here so like
6: you've got you've got a uh, this was like the first time reading through his his sermon that I realized how many parallels there were to Moshe oh, and Yeshua yeah. and then even Moshe and Stephen in this particular case mm-hmm. but like one of the things that I kept thinking of was it seemed like Hashem really protected Moshe from naysayers you know you see like somebody speaks against Moshe' plague you know, Miri, uh, you know, his <laughs> sister, yeah, his sister and, and Aaron, leprosy. And then it's like Korah's ba- like <laughs> literally swallowed by the earth. Like, you don't speak against Moshe, right. basically. Right. But then, that is not the case with both Yeshua and Stephen. Both of them speaking similarly to Moshe, that they are they're obviously sure. compelled by the sure. Spirit to say lots of different things.
4: Is this not more the reason? that this was part of the plan. Well, that that was the only thing I could think of. Yeah, that was the only thing I could think of here was... And and to Joshua's point, with Stephen dying, it is a line in the sand. It does push them all apart at that point. And they're no longer a temple sect after this. They were a temple sect of Judaism. That's how this faith was. I want to rephrase that. That's how this this practice was exhibited at this time. And after this, it no longer is. They're not welcome in the synagogues. You're going to see Eutychus sitting in the window while Paul is preaching. When is Paul preaching? At the beginning of the first day of the week. That's not Sunday morning worship service. That's right after half right? That's Moshi. Uh, that's Motzi Shabbat. We come right out of Shabbat. We just started this first day of the week, mm-hmm. and that is on Sunday night. He is. They've got a Havara going. I mean, they're coming together where the Jews that believe in Messiah have been at the synagogue. The Gentiles or non-Jews are no longer welcome there. The Hellenists are no longer welcome there, and they're coming together. So, it is a a red-letter deal. Were they, was it legitimate to have Yeshua killed? Mm. According to the Torah. According to their understanding of the Torah. According to their understanding of his theology. Say yes, because they don't see the direct link to Joseph. Okay. According to to their, what was the verdict? Blasphemy, blasphemy. That's was a blasphemy way. a capital offense? Yes, I guess yes. it was. Yes, it was. Well, yeah. Is only few because it's only the word. All so the only man's word were only um, right. speech. So, what did he say? He made himself equal with God. I am. Hmm. High priest tore his garment and said, "What more do we have to hear? That's blasphemy." And they we're done. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that according to their understanding of what he was saying, which is what he was saying, you can't call yourself equal with God except in one really small instance that you happen to be. The
7: Messiah. The
4: Messiah. And yeah, well, he was. So it was a legitimate, this is blasphemy if you don't believe he's God, therefore we got to kill you. And they did. How about here, along the same lines? Just try to stay with me. Along the same lines, what was the verdict, and was it legitimate? The verdict was, he
1: preaching
5: against God.
4: Was he preaching against God? In what way did he preach against God? Or what way would they have thought he, they were, he was preaching against God? That's not one of the false witnesses said. False witnesses said he was... <clears throat> Preaching that Yeshua was going to destroy the temple in three days, which kind of sounds familiar, but not the whole thing of what he said. Exactly, out of context for sure. And it kind of wasn't legitimate. Changing the uh, customs of Moses. Which is that really?
3: That is that is that a? They talk about the Torah. Or are they talk about the traditions because they're kind of two set. Kind of
4: even if they are, yeah. is that a? capital offense.
3: Because I mean, I would say tradition has evolved in the time since then, for sure. Sure. So That's it's not totally. like it can't change.
4: Well, in their day. Right. But. And even today, it would say both were given on the on the mountain. Bottom line. In the first instance, the council determines it's blasphemy, and it's legitimate for them then to carry out that sentence. I get it. Don't agree with it, but I get it. Do you get this one? What
7: was the verdict? The verdict was you offended us. Why do you say that? Because <laughs> he said you stiff neck Stiff-neck. people. <laughs>
5: That's what I wrote down.
7: You you had the law delivered yeah. to you. You didn't even keep it. Yeah. So
4: I don't disagree, but why do you say it? Why do you say that was their verdict? Because they had to bring false witnesses. No. To shut them down. No. Because they
6: had no other verdict.
4: Because there was no verdict. You're exactly right. They just got ticked. They got offended. And as you were pointing out, this is not just a line in the sand. This is disturbing because there was no verdict.
3: Well, they had to get Shaul to say, yeah, this is okay, because he was some kind of official at that
4: time. Why else would that be he was just approving it and I think it's so that we understand his character which is interesting because
0: Saul Well, we'll talk more about him next week but keep in mind who he's hanging out with and where he comes from because it doesn't make
4: sense that's right we, we're going to learn that he learned at the feet of Gamaliel Gamaliel who we he read last a week, wrong strong
0: Pharisee, very strong Pharisee, and was at be, at worst non uh, didn't care really about the, the temple. This the other another sect. Wasn't really going to come in one way or the other. Right. Saul
4: obviously has taken a different view. He has, and is now siding with and approving of what is being done to Stephen, even though there was no verdict. Does everybody see that? We had a verdict in in Yeshua's uh, trial, whether we agree with it or not. There was a verdict, and the the, uh, sentence is legitimate for that verdict. In this case, we've got a bunch of angry guys. Who can't pin the blame on anybody. And the blame was just formally pinned on them for Yeshua. Yes, sir?
1: Are these men capable of being considered a court of law?
4: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we are, have already gone through with Yeshua how it seemed to be an illegitimate court since it started at night. It didn't have all the members. We see in uh, one of the Gospels that the Pharisees got up and walked out. Kangaroo court for sure. We don't have that sense here, but the one thing that I get is what Mr. Garner just said. They're upset even if there were a legitimate court they didn't render a legitimate verdict they got mad and killed a man
0: okay. this reminds me so much this whole thing and then the next few verses in chapter 8 of the um, when you were going through the history mm-hmm. and we stopped briefly over here near the turn of the century um, with the incident with Halel and Shemai. yeah so quick recap Hillel and Shammai are arguing the two sides of the Jewish tradition and a bunch of uh, the Shammaiites want to win the argument, so they hold a meeting. Right. And but uh, they hold a meeting with the well, They hold a meeting with the Hillelites yeah, to, to make to rule on whose side is correct. And along make, the way and make peace. And Make peace. Along the way, they happen to bring some literally hired hitmen, this Sakari, who are an assassin group, with them and the talent that is a talent yeah. recorders, yeah. right? The idea that basically many, Shemai many, won because many, many Hillelites
4: went in yeah. and none came out.
0: So the idea being that like brutal the Shemaiites are not, not the same group as the Sadducees, but the idea is striking me as very similar Absolutely. here. Because not it's not just that they stoned Stephen. It's that, like I said, it's a line in the sand not only for for the community of believers, but it seems to break
4: the the log jam for them as well.
0: Up until now, they have not been persecuted, sure. this group. But so, now they are.
4: Yeah. So let's you know let's go back even further, because you bring up a good point, Joshua. Just before the masters on the scene, just before the Hallel and Shammai thing, even before that, Rome had to step in, because the Jews were killing each other. The intrigue, and the brother-in-law, and the cousins, and all of that that was going on was astonishing. And I gave you some of that in the intro to this whole class, that... These guys were killing each other, left and right, to the point where Rome had to step in and bring some foundation, some solidity to the to the government and to the to the uh, to the whole place. To do it again, too. And it 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 got kind of calm. Got Pilate inherit and build the temple and make it bigger and the whole thing. And we had a period of almost an entire generation, the generation of the master, where Things are pretty common. People aren't really killing each other in order to gain political power and so forth uh, as much. The one constant throughout the Hillel Shemai thing and the killing of other political players prior to it, all the way up to 66 when the Jews revolted, you have one family in charge of the priesthood. Annas, his son... His his grandson, his nephew, his son-in-law, they're just passing the the office back and forth. And that's why it says the high priests plural, which could never be according to the Torah. Annas was just playing this, and he was the high priest. And that kind of stuff kicks in, to your point, right here around 30 to 40 of the common era. And by 20 years later the Jews are in full revolt, and everybody out of the pool. Good.
6: Well, I think yeah. the other thing, too, that's really important as we, like we draw to a close in chapter 7 is just his, like, how Stephen sort of responds, right? So it's like you've got the small verse about the fact that they stoned him, but it, it goes in, I mean, the, this particular passage makes a point to quote the last things that Stephen say, says in order to i think bring us right back to yeshua's last words yes. and that that to me like is a i think it's supposed to be a confirmation that you Stephen was not only on the right point but it was exactly how like all of the disciples from then on should should operate exactly like don't care about what anyone is is going to say when you say what you need to say. Right. And, you, say and what if you, you get need to, to that say. right, you say what you need to say, and then when you get to that point, act like one of my disciples, that's and right. and you forgive them no matter what. Very cool. Yeah. Even even if that's like the very last thing that you say. You
4: betcha. The guys that buried Stephen were called devout men. I thought that that was curious, because if you've been following along and reading each week. You haven't come across that very often. Who are the only three men in the apostolic writings that are called devout? Who was the first one? Simeon. Simeon the priest, a devout man. Second one? Cornelius. A non-Jew is called devout. Italian. We're going to have to come... Yeah, he it was Italian, too, so, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have to come back to that, um, you know, in a couple of chapters. I wasn't devout, Because it works. It's
5: a combo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One from God may one from oh, yeah. God. <laughs> just slide in? Or That's right. Off? right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows somebody. Enough, yeah, it's, <laughs> just, it's just like winning Super
3: Bowls. If you get the ring, it doesn't matter how you right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Power went out. Are you kidding? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: So, yeah, Cornelius. And again, we will come back with him um, because, you know, we're doing this to see what our Holocaust should be like as, non- as non-Jews. And here's a non-Jew. Who's actually called devout? That's big. Who was the third one? Hananiah, Ananias. Ananias, or uh, Hananiah in, in Hebrews? Simeon was the first one. You were in the yeah. Yeah. Joseph
3: of Amu- Arimathea didn't get that tag. He did not. Huh.
4: So funny. He's a righteous man. Oh, okay. he doesn't say devout.
0: There's kind of a funny illusion. Speaking of righteous men, there's a funny illusion here in that beginning. Say funny, but interesting in chapter 8. So we just get introduced to Shaul, and then we get introduced to these devout men who bury Stephen. Right. Which, if you have been reading about the first guy with the name Shaul, that will sound familiar. When King Saul is killed by the Philistines, the end of 1 Samuel, it says, When the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, which mm-hmm. kind of goes back to what we were talking about right, in Acts, right. arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Betjean and they came to Jabesh and, burn, and burned them there. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. It sounds remarkably similar to the Acts 8 passage talking about these guys come, they bury them, they lament, they mourn. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also, also very similar to the disciples of John do the same thing. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think it's just funny that we we get introduced to Saul and then we get this weird allusion back to King Saul.
4: Yeah. Good. All right. Home stretch, guys.
5: Hey, don't don't you think it's kind of ironic too that um, in church today, you know, it was amazing. I spent a lot of time at a big pink church, too, like we said earlier. But anyway, <clears throat> there are a lot of great sermons, or a lot of sermons on this specific spot of Scripture. You bet. And how they, the church today actually uplifts Stephen and applauds him and can't believe he got stoned right. because he was uh, saying things about the holy place and the Torah. And it seems ironic that yet... They're it, quoting the false yeah. witnesses. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, and, <clears throat> and, and
4: the irony is so thick, and yet we sat under it for years and years and never even saw it, yeah. and never even heard it. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah I, I get it. Okay, so um, we kind of went through uh, the first review question there. Um, I picked up John 16. Did, did anyone think that that was a, a legitimate reference to why? this might have been done that they would the master said uh, they will put you out of the synagogues they did that indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God I mean that's what happened Hmm. I think that's what happened with Yeshua for sure in fact the high priest actually prophesies about one life rather than the whole nation because he just thinks it's going to go down the toilet if they follow after a false messiah but what about Stephen you think I mean to your point Todd do you think they really thought they were doing a service for God or did they just not really even think about it and as as you pointed out Joshua they just got so riled up they did something disturbing stupidly disturbing
3: yeah, well, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not then. But I would argue, Shaw, sure. we definitely thought he was doing. I think so. God. Yeah,
4: no question. And mm-hmm. he's—we'll see next week—putting people in prison, dragging people out of their homes. <gasps> I mean, it is—it is amazing what this man did, in his zeal
3: for God. Do you think, I do think—I don't know if you're trying to say this—but I do think a lot of times people point to that. Passage in, in John sixteen yeah. as, as an excuse to to I don't want to say be unkind
4: mm, no be judgmental
3: the opposite of that um, to be
4: uh, too loving kind
3: to ascribe like it, it, something happening in their life to you know they're being martyred almost
4: oh, oh yeah 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 and I'm being persecuted yeah because they won't give uh, give me decaf at the office right I, I don't I, <laughs> uh, I hate it when that happens. that. I don't know if that's what you were trying to say, but
3: I do think that there's a tendency to do that with that. Specific, specific that is not what
4: I was trying to say, but I think you're right about that. The uh, this I'm living for God, and that's why I'm so sad. Yeah. I asked a woman that once. She she always looked sad. She sounded sad when you spoke with her. She she was sad, and you know I why? I. Know, kind of pressed her on that point at one point and said you know I'm, I read a lot about joy and having more joy and abundant life and <laughs> that more likely and happiness and you know um, well following the Messiah is a burden that we must bear and she was convinced that she needed to bear this tremendous burden that actually made her sad and at times unpleasant to be with. And this was her means of serving God. and you know to your point, same, same kind of deal. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've been getting letters from missionaries for 20, 25 years. and I haven't, I haven't had hardship since basic training really. And even then, it had nothing to do with my relationship with the Messiah. Which, as I recall, I didn't have. So, yeah. Alright, so, question number two. In the review on page 17, do you think that Stephen knew all this stuff off the top of his head? Or that the Spirit filled his mind with these facts, figures, and how to say it, and he laid it all out and just blew the 70 to 75? Th- no, no. I the last part I made up. Yes. I think it was uh, B,
1: where the Holy Spirit uh, gave told, uh, helped him think of what he needed to say okay. at that moment, because really at that, at that moment, it was kind of a situation where he was revealing himself, mm-hmm. and he knew what was ahead of him, like a goal and a finish line. He yeah. knew that he was going to be uh, exiled, and he knew he was going to get stoned
4: to death. I don't know if he knew if he was going to get stoned, but... Well, kind of if, like you, you and know, the closer he got going. to the end of that, he certainly realized if he kept saying it the way he was starting to say it, yeah. You and you and you guys yeah. and then your father's and now you got you know, I, I mean eventually it's just building up to a threshold where a crescendo where mm-hmm. something's gonna happen. I don't know what he thought the outcome was gonna be. But once he got down near near the bottom there he really and they all, all just that. kept getting more red and more red mm-hmm. in the face. Yeah, I figured he was on his way out. What do you think? I
3: don't think, I don't think he was saying anything he didn't already know. Okay. But I definitely think um, the spirit was helping him say it. Cor- like, you know, a lot of times we try to marshal our thoughts and say it exactly how it needs to be received. Right. We don't always succeed at that. Correct. I think in this moment he
1: was given special dispensation to be able to do that. Unction. Like, I like, yeah. um, uh, like Moses speaking to the Pharaoh with what God right. told him and helped him. Even after he said he couldn't speak well, well uh, he well, still Aaron started. did help him.
6: Right. So. But yeah, I, th- Something I think like so. That. Go ahead. Well, so I was thinking about this, and if, if we are saying that Stephen fits this description from Matthew 10, that, right. that changes how we talked about that sermon dramatically. That means there was no confusion whatsoever that essentially like all that confusion all that discussion is like now fact.
4: Well, and, you know, and I think in addition if you're, to that, if you're saying that the confusion that we had is oh, no longer confusing well, the, the discrepancy then, between the two it was deliberate parts of our bible. It was deliberate. And it was laid out then, is what you're saying, right? If it oh, would, right. If this yes. is true, if this is, right. it was superintended that it would be laid out exactly as it was. Right. And we may not even know, being non-Jews in the 21st century, how they, well, we know how they accepted it. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> right. Basically, is, is what it came down to. But you're right. It does kind of torque it a little bit. it's not, Stephen kind of messed up here, or Stephen did a really good <coughs> job of layering A lot of Midrash, and it it could have been both, that Stephen was layering and and providing a really good presentation that was superintended by God.
6: What's pretty cool about that, though, is that that makes this sermon essentially like I guess the uh, the whole Torah cycle actually is kind of a, a confirmation of like you're on the right track of what to study. Because the bulk of what what he deals with is the bulk of what Judaism studies, which is essentially Moshe. Right. You know, I mean, Genesis. There's lots of cool stuff, but like Moshe and his life and and all of what he accomplished in the Exodus from Egypt is intertwined throughout every prayer and for everything oh, and that t- Judaism does. From Abraham to Moses, for right. sure. And right, and that's that, that's where Stephen spends the bulk of his time. So I think that's that's mm-hmm. really neat. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I I think his focus on Moses is so that he can focus on the Redeemer and the redemption and the rejection of that Redeemer and then ties a nice little bow and says, by the way you didn't believe him your fathers didn't believe him and rejected him and disobeyed him and you just did the same thing and gosh, you killed the Messiah you know, try next time final comments before we close up yes sir
0: I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I noticed looking at this week that he mentions Jacob sends his sons down to Joseph, and it says that when they visited him a second time, Joseph made himself revealed to his brothers. I couldn't help but wonder if Stephen's thinking, the Messiah comes back a second time.
4: (laughs) He reveals himself. Nice, nice. That's good. I didn't see that one. I think we'll have to write that one in. Alright, so uh, next week, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't read ahead, but it uh, turns out that uh, Shaul is, uh, is going to have a little uh, incident here. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at that. And, uh, and then we're going to visit with a man who's in very, very small company. We looked at, in the Apostolic Scriptures, three devout men. Um, next week we're going to look and see that uh, there's only four men in another category. And uh, we're going to be introduced to a man who is put into that category. And uh, actually, there's five in that category, and he's one of them. And uh, there's another category we'll look at, and there's only four in that. And he's in that one as well. So I think it'll be a, a good lesson for you and uh i'm pretty sure it's already out there so you should be good there you uh you want to say anything
1: yes
3: last minute words um i have an announcement to make um i was offered a job in jackson